It's Friday, October 13th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 462 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 47 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. So, Wayne, you said you want to talk about Washington, D.C., yeah, so I was thinking about it from kind of a uh, gaming standpoint as I wandered around the city. There, so let's back up. You, okay. Uh, explain. You just went to Washington, D.C. Yeah, so for a work trip, I went to Washington, D.C. last week, and then I spent a couple days afterwards there as a tourist, just because it's a city I've always wanted to go to, all of these history, all the museums. A couple of things really stood out at me, and as I'm wandering around, I'm seeing all of these buildings and the architecture, and it is vast and lives up to pretty much everything i was expecting it's very grand very artistic not so much function as it is form and appearance and i was thinking about uh you know how you would going back to our architecture conversation from a few episodes ago how do you bring things like that into your game but then i was realizing as well you go a block over and now you've got new buildings built in the new style where it's very Postmodern. Yeah. So it goes back to that idea of when you run into, in at least in video games and role-playing games where I've heard cities described, it's always, if it's an old city, all these old buildings, everything's un- the same. It's not the same. This is concept that I've seen in a lot of video games, and I've seen it in some role-playing games, too. And it it's this concept that I think Dan and I called Poke Worlds. So the game Pokemon or theme park world, yeah, yeah. theme park world. The game Pokemon, you go to different places, and the now I'm sure some Pokemon fanatics are gonna be like, "Well, in this game it wasn't like this, and in this game it was." But I'm just talking in. <laughs> I love, I love how you always preempt nerd rage, right? Well, <laughs> it's because we've been doing this since 2006. I've just gotten so much nerd rage. It, it's not that I don't want it or don't think it's going to not happen. I mean, I'm not a fool, but I'm saving the raging nerd the time and the effort. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've, already heard, we've already heard you. Yeah, yeah, believe multiple times. Yeah. We have a lot of listeners. So uh, I'm a terrible person because I don't understand Pokemon. Gotcha. But the, the concept, though, was that in a lot of these games, you go to this island and it's like a swamp island. Or you go to this planet, uh, this yep. other island, it's like a desert island you go to this other island and it's like a city island if i could trigger my own nerd rage out there towards me star wars is about as bad as it gets i was gonna say a star wars and to lesser extent star trek it's a desert planet or it's a ice planet planet, or or it's a city planet or it's a redwood forest planet or it's uh, and i love even places that have a very singular economy you have a pleasure world right and that's like a whole planet 10 billion people all paid for sex. Yeah. That's, that's... Where? <laughs> Risa. Yeah, Risa was the one that I was thinking of, too. Oh, that or I just asked Pat. I'm sure he's probably marked it on multiple star charts. And he's got a half-built rocket in his backyard. and He's got a half-built rocket in his yeah. pants. <laughs> so it's one of those things where you, these are whole worlds that are built like that. Right. But even when you get down into a city, a city isn't even like that. No, no, it isn't. You have your neighborhood this, isn't. Like this is a building that's two hundred years old. Two blocks away is a building that was built last year that looks nothing like this other building. Right. 
Because cities aren't all built at once. My house. And they grow over time. My house was built in 1962, I think. The building behind my house is a new school that was built in 2017. Yeah. I, you know, I think one of the big takeaways that I would have from this is when you're giving a description of a place, I realize as a game master that you don't necessarily have it in you to come up with this huge detailed explanation every time the characters go somewhere. And certainly you don't want to get caught up in going, okay, house number 1438 on the right looks like this. Next to it is house number 1440, because all of the even house numbers are on the right side of the street. This one was built in 1984 and was originally owned by Mrs. Green. And yeah, you I don't read much Lovecraft, do you? <laughs> I realize that you don't want to get caught up in that. But I think when what your point about DC makes is that there's a story there. Yeah. And that's what's in is the setting has a story. You know, that this particular monument was built because of this particular person. This particular neighborhood was built because of the politicians and the lobbyists and the other sorts of people and the infrastructure to support them that moved into D.C. because of what goes on there. And D.C. is an extreme example of this because of the history of it and because of being a capital and such. But if you look at even our own city, St. Louis, we've got the arch. Why do we have the arch? What's the history of the arch? Do we have the arch? There's, (laughs) you know, there's memorials. Those are the kind of things that I, I'd like to start including into games. Here's a memorial to somebody that lived in this city 20 years ago, like probably more than 20 years ago, if it's a memorial, a hundred years ago or whatever, that just adds that flavor. So making it feel, I believe it's pronounced flavor, but I'm on board. So the, the thing you have to be careful with that, and it's a great idea. Absolutely, yeah. add that stuff in to get more nerd rage at me. There's an episode of Firefly where they go down to this planet, and uh, Jane, yep, the, the, Jane Cobb, yeah, Jane Cobb, you know, this planet. And there's a statue of Jane, right? Yep. And there's this whole story about why they have the statue, and you didn't want to talk about it, and blah blah blah, and go watch the episode, whatever. You probably have 15 times. And here's the bad thing about that the episode. The, I think the name of the episode was Janestown. Janestown, yeah. Or maybe Jane's World, but here, I think it was Janestown. Here's the, here's the terrible thing about why that was a horrible episode. Because it's a fun episode, but why it's bad in storytelling is because the town existed around the statue. The framing of the scene, when the game master, if this were a game, was describing the scene, the first thing, you get off of, this, off of the ship, and you see a statue of Jane. Fellow players like, what? And it's Jane's town. And, well, you know what you've just done? You've created a poke world around this monument that you added for flavor because it's the only thing that matters in the town. Now, again, to to circle back, though, you're absolutely right, Wayne. Put these bits of flavor in the town, but it's spice that you sprinkle over the dish. And spread it around. Like you mentioned, they have one statue in that town. Yeah. How many statues do we have in St. Louis? We've got multiple statues all over. How many statues did I see in D.C.? I lost count because there's so many of them. Just having one makes it a, it's kind of built around. And I would nerd rage about you about that because I think they actually did a good job of building that right. that episode. They built that world more than mm-hmm. just the statue. Yeah. But I get your point of it is, that was the focus of the episode, so it would then be the focus of the session. Right. And that's where I think a lot of these uh, Poke World type things mm-hmm. happen, 
is that maybe there is more to it, but if all you see is that, yeah. then that's all there is because yeah. that's all you're interacting with. Don't create color-coded worlds, you know, where it's the deserts are brown mm-hmm. and then you go to forest land that's green and then you go to city land that's gray with streets. It's so easy. It's so very, very easy. How I got around that in Blades in the Dark, well, for one, the city is defined, but when we were playing, we were playing like the beta version and there weren't any maps or definitions of what the city was. I did not try to define districts like the whore district or the gambling district or the rich people district. There was strata of people. There was lower class and tradesmen and uh, merchant class. And then, you know, you, you kind of go up and the closer you got to the castle where the Empress lived, the more wealthy it got. And that's kind of the compass I used. But I like to make location-specific buildings, right? I, I don't like making the red light district, right? I would rather put in a, a single whorehouse in a neighborhood that has a lot of character. And that's just sort of my side. Not to say that putting a red light district or or a market district or anything like that is bad. Is that's just my personal style well, because I could focus down in yeah, on that building more. Along those lines, it sometimes it does make sense to have a whole section that is something. Absolutely. One of the things I went to in D.C. that I've never went to is I went to the wharf. Mm-hmm. Went down where they have all of the fish markets. Here are five or six different places that are selling all the same thing: fish. Right. But each one has its own different flavor to it. This one is cooking. Mm-hmm. You know, they're selling cooked fish. This is fresh fish. This is crab. This is shrimp. At dinner before the episode, I showed Broder a sign that said, hey, I think I found your mom in D.C. And it was, uh, it said large crabs. And it was on an arrow. <laughs> and then a sign right next to it that said crabs. <laughs> She's one of those places. <laughs> so what's interesting to me about this subject is that I think that there is a middle ground. Mm-hmm. Because I agree with what you're saying, your analysis of the Janestown episode. Right. That, hey, the first thing they see is yep. Huzzah, the statue of Jane. And it could have been framed differently that eventually when they get to the town square, after they see all of the other varieties of level of flavor Mm -hmm. in the town, then they're presented. And in the show's defense, they only have 45 minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. Which was what I was thinking when you were talking. I was like, you, Chad. They've got 42 minutes of genius. (laughs) Shoehorn in. They mixed in in a lot of flavor. But the point of the episode was. Based right. around that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Was, but what is the true story behind right. the, statue, the legend that they've built? Right. The statue's the money shot, right? Yeah. But you don't have to just... That they showed at the right beginning out of the, of the episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could have yeah. done that, you know, as part of the second scene. And right? that's, that's hard in shows like that, too, right. because it's a subtle reference. It's not a big statue. Well, how do you how do you do that? Well, right. the actors are yeah. walking through the town. They're going to the bar. And one of them's like, oh, what? And does a double take yeah. and then... The equivalent of that for me in a game is that would have been at the end of the session. That would have been my cliffhanger. Right. At the end of the session, you land on it, you walk out. There's a statue of Chad's character because you know your character would be the Jane character. Oh, absolutely. So my character has had statues in your games. (laughs) Yep. So recently I ran a and d session. This is, uh, you know, a few sessions back, but they went to a foreign city and I did exactly deliberately a Pokemon style world, right? Mm-hmm. Where everything was carved into specific mm-hmm. and delegated 
districts. And as I'm describing the city and the players are walking through, they realize that, holy shit, this is, it's not an amusement park, but it is all facade. Right. And it's deliberately designed as a place for tourism. And the players realize, oh my God, there's people coming from all over the multiverse to this quasi, think of Las Vegas as a college town. Mm -hmm. And that was what this fantasy city was. But the city that they're in now is far more akin to what Wayne was describing. I wish we'd had this conversation prior to me running the game on this past Sunday night, because I think I would have done a better job mm -hmm. because I would have put more thought into what districts and what types of mm -hmm. architecture and buildings and, you yeah. know, just the different people and businesses well, that are butting up against one another. Yeah. If I look at the different types of buildings I saw on the wharf, I saw wooden buildings that are kind of ramshack put together. They're, they look like they could be torn down and rebuilt at any moment. You know, they're just kind of, they're there. They're not meant to be permanent. Then I saw buildings that are built to be, these are motels, they're new form, they're built to last. Then I saw stone buildings and masonry buildings and these buildings that have been there for hundreds of years, you know, a couple hundred years at this point, each of those built completely differently. That was something that was really striking to see all of that. Like St. Louis has some of that, but it's not really to the same degree. Generally, when I look at downtown, I see chunks of buildings. You need to go down to Soulard and Lafayette Square. This, well, I, yeah, there's some areas, though, that is the old St. Louis. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Those are yeah. all together yeah. grouped. You don't see as much. Well, Here is an old building right next to a brand new building. Well, and you have to remember a thing about St. Louis, and this is actually something that you, if you're running a game and you're building a city, it kind of pays to think about this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, in the St. Louis example, where, you know, Wayne does not see the old stuff, because it's there... Oh, no, I'm not saying I don't see the old stuff. I'm saying the, more of it's not old next to new. Right. It's not so blended. Because, yes. And there's a reason for that. Because St. Louis used to be an industrial town and was filled right. with warehouses and it burned down to its foundations multiple times and was rebuilt. Yep. And then, so, you know, earlier I said, well, why do we have the arch and blah, blah, blah. I was kind of joking. Well, because where the arch was, was blighted. Dockland. I mean, it was just horrible cesspool of disease and poverty, and it all got cleaned out and turned into a big park. I think that works into the question that I was framing this under, which is having a why to it all. Mm -hmm. And in this case, if you look at how people tend to naturally live, okay, so if you just take a group of people, let them live according to their will, people tend to want things fairly interspersed. Why? Because people want the things that they are interested in close by. All right. We've seen a revival of this here locally with places like there's an area called Newtown. And what Newtown is, is it's a it's nude town, a nude town. But there's <laughs> a, some pretty good stories about that. There's a subdivision development that they put in a floodplain. It's probably going to be underwater here at some point. But what they did was they intermixed houses right next door to shops right across the street from a chapel. And they've well, done that downtown, yeah, too, with the Grove, Dogtown, Revitalization, Washington Avenue. if you look at most of St. Louis, it is built very heavily zoned because of civic planning, and in some cases, some rather 
unmentionable history. Yeah. If you want to know what I'm talking about, uh, go on to Google and look up something called the Delmar Divide. It's actually such a major thing. It was a, an intentional line of both race and poverty that was built through the middle of the city of St. Louis, which, along a road called Delmar, where the north side is predominantly poor and black and the south side is predominantly very wealthy and white. And they this made an asphalt river that separates. Yeah, them. precisely. And this was enforced through a variety of overt and covert means. And it is so significant that it is actually a major topic within uh, civil engineering courses they teach in some parts of Europe, which surprised mm-hmm. the hell out of me when I heard it. But you can find tons of information on this. But St. Louis overall, that's how it's laid out. You have a subdivision. And that may go on for a mile or two miles before you reach an area that has shopping. And then you may have to go another couple of miles before you reach an area where people work, where and I'm not talking about retail, of course, where it's like office buildings and warehouses and industrial yards and things like that. And so the point is there's an intention to it. I can compare this. I'll take two video games as examples. There's a game that I'm playing right now because I enjoy these sort of like little city planning sorts of games, some of them at least. There's a game I'm playing right now, which is very, very unoriginally named, called Planet Base, where hmm. you put a base on a planet. I thought there would be dragons in there. Yeah, I, it's, I realize it's a misleading <laughs> title, but Planet Base, yeah, which is about putting a base on a planet, and a bunch of colonists walk off, and you try to make them survive. You build them habitats and things like that. Do you build them pools and take the ladders out? <laughs> no, no, it's not Sims level. You don't, you don't get down to that far. But is there a nude patch? Because you need to make nude town. You need a nude patch. Right, right. (laughs) On planet nude. Come on, Dan, get this together. On nude law. But but the point being, though, that because of the way that it makes sense for the people to live in that environment, they're relatively clustered together, but they're far enough apart from the other, like, habitat domes and such that... You can't expect them to walk huge distances. There's no system of mass transit in the game. And so as a result, I have to plan the city one way. So I have a living quarter for maybe a dozen people. And then right next to that is a building they work. And then not far from that is going to be the canteen where they eat. And then not far from that is going to be a medical facility. And then I'm going to repeat this. And I then- really like the sound of this game because usually... When I think back to SimCity, for example, SimCity, you would have, here's my residential area. All of my houses I put together. That's what I was going to get to as as, as a counter example. Now, not SimCity. I was specifically going to go for Tropico. When I play a game of Tropico, now, first of all, you do have some external pressures to organize the city a certain way because of the fact that, fairly true to life, for better or worse, The tourists, if you're building tourist buildings, don't want to be too close to the locals, especially the impoverished locals. And so you have to put your tourism away from the smoke of the power plant and away from the slums the locals are living in. I'm not espousing any of this. I'm just telling you the game reflects reality once again, as unfortunate as that is. But there's also internal factors like this area may simply have better soil and therefore you end up with a big cluster of farms, and then next to that is the housing for the people that work the farms. And then all the way across the island is the power plant belching out smoke that nobody wants to be near. 
And that game does allow you to build roads and subways and things like that. You sound like a crappy third world dictator. I mean, you like care. That's, <laughs> well, that, that's kind <laughs> of that's the, what Tropico is. You play this tropical <laughs> dictator. Yeah, you play this guy who's an absolute nightmare. But well, you actually have a choice. And so I decided to play the game because you can play, I mean, this horrible, horrible dictator. Sure. But I decided I was going to see how far I could get in the game being a nice guy. And so I... Spent. Benevolent. Uh, yeah, I so I only taxed what I needed. I got people good housing, good education. I it was kind of funny because they let you give your dictator like weird perks, and so mine was that he was very religious, but he was also a vigilante. <laughs> <laughs> I, he would actually like you are on the map, your dictator, you, and if you get killed, it's the end of the game, or if you get ejected from office, whether by vote or by coup, the game's over. But he was actually pumped up a bit in his combat stats, and he would go out at night and fight crime and subversion. And such. He give you real life examples uh, of dictators. He was that. like this Batman figure. It was very, very bizarre. But the point being that there were factors within the game that motivated me to put farms in this place because it made sense to the world. It wasn't like yeah. the whole island was Farm Island. Be- I think that that's the difference between. A poke world or an amusement park world or whatever you want to call it, because it, those exist for the ease of the person telling the story, because they got other shit that they've got to get organized. And I get that. Contrasted with, we live in a society and we have zoning laws, because I don't mind living next to a school that my son goes to. I would mind living next to a nuclear power plant. So there's no power plants in my neighborhood. And that makes sense. I live in an area where there's a bunch of... Sh- I don't uh, know. Houses. All this doesn't compute to me. I went to a high school that had a uh, lead smelter behind it. So yeah. we know, Wayne. <laughs> you got into <laughs> vampire teeth and basement wrestling. <laughs> Until we pulled you out of there. And so we didn't, much we didn't go explained. to space camp. <laughs> true. That's very yeah. true. He went to Chalation instead. It, it's interesting, though, when you think about some of these, some of the cities that exist out there, some of them do at first glance when you go into them look like they are pokey cities. Yeah. They're not. Salt Lake City, Utah comes to mind. Uh, it's very organized. It's very systematically laid out that goes beyond zoning laws. Branson was the one that came to my mind. Branson, Missouri is... Let's take Vegas. There's, Vegas was the other one that came to my mind for the same reason. Here's a strip of all these things that are... You That's know, not Vegas, though. That's true. like, what, what's it called? It Like, Vegas isn't actually Vegas? Yeah, Vegas it's, isn't actually Vegas. It's uh, uh, Henderson. And, well, yeah. Henderson's where everywhere the people live. So, like, if you actually want to find the subdivisions and where everyone yeah. is... But the, the it was Vegas like, Strip, like the city of Las Vegas, is something weird thing where yeah. gambling is illegal, but like, all the casinos are not actually in Las Vegas, even though Las Vegas is the city. Mm-hmm. They're in this, like, municipality that allows the game. So, it's weird. I don't... I've never been there. Yeah. So. But, but you get the point. Right. When you first come in... Here is, all the, in one place. here is the strip. It all looks yeah. the sure. same. Because you, you land on an airplane, you take a taxi, you see all the big yep. flashy lights, you find some place to stay. Interspersed subdivisions would get in the way of that yep. purpose. But within that city is all of the other things that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's not what you interact with. So you could actually do something like that where they come in and it looks like it's a pokey city. So, but then you start discovering, oh, well, there's a grocery store two blocks over yeah. that has nothing and, to do with and that. there's all and there's reasons for that 
a different kind of reason for laying out a city is the opposite of Vegas. Let's take Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada looks like somebody took a handful of buildings and threw them against a mountain and they just kind of sat where they laid. So the geography really defined Reno. Missouri is the same way. Missouri is a, it is paradise and Winchester are the two towns. Thought so. Well, I didn't, know the names but they, i knew that they were lost what we actually think of as las vegas is the unincorporated towns of paradise and winchester right but geography like uh, so getting back to missouri missouri is very defined by its rivers and how like if you look at st louis the shape of st louis is where the dock the docks and the ports were on the river where it sticks out and then the city explodes out from that and then peters out. Well, outwards. and also largely follows the contours of the land. Of the land. It's, St. Louis has very few straight roads. Right. It's not like Albuquerque We're, or Salt Lake where you have a well-gridded city. The roads can't, twist yeah, and turn yeah. and weave and go all these crazy directions. Because, yeah, there's... this foot. I mean, it's the foothills of Missouri. We don't have mountains and they're not high, but it's hilly. It's super hilly. It's a hilly river-filled forest when that we live in. When you look at most cities, they weren't designed. Most cities started off as a smaller town that grew. and it's, Well, it's people gathering for purpose, right. usually around water or trade or something like that. But the that. point is, they grew over time, yeah. and then suddenly you have traffic issues. So you have to tear something down, build a new highway. Which is... It's not... Things aren't which, typically gridded up. They become gridded out. Versus if you were going to colonize, you might plan that out ahead of time. Yeah, That's why like games like Civilization and that sort of thing are very disingenuous. Because the vast majority of real established cities, now of course there are a lot of exceptions and stuff, they are not some monarch or leader or ruling council looks at a map and points to an area and says, there, there is where we shall build a city. Now, of course, that has happened, and there's examples of that throughout history, especially military cities where they build a garrison town which expands and grows for purpose. But the vast majority of cities spring up for reasons, a lot involving water, commerce, trade, safety. St. Louis built itself up because it was a river city. Mm -hmm. That was it was its life was based off of the river and where it was and being a stopping point on the way to the west. Yeah. And then the West suddenly was further to the West. So then you get independence becomes one of those cities. And you're right. It's all around a purpose, yeah. not about somebody just picking an area of land. Mm-hmm. You seem skeptical, Brodor. No, no. It actually, it was. I was thinking of something that was completely off topic. Like which oops. I was thinking about Wicked River. And there was a yes! moment <laughs> in Wicked River where you realized that the Missouri or excuse me, that the Mississippi River was no longer the edge of the world. Right. And that's when it started losing the river life and river traffic started losing its importance to the economy and to society. And it just made me think that, you know, St. Louis is an excellent example of, hey, we used to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then the railroad came. Yeah. Right. And so you could have, you could take the, the history. St. Louis was the gilded city. Right. But now we're, you know, or St. Louis. My well, there, there's, but yes. uh, there's, an, there's another step to that story, though, which is because of its relatively central location and its importance to river traffic, when the railroads came, 
They wanted to go through St. Louis. Steamboat captains. But what happened instead was the bridge, the first rail crossing, was not built here. It was built in Chicago. And that's why now if you look at the population of Chicago, it in terms of population, and city to city, taking out the metro areas out of the equation, it dwarfs St. Louis is because of the fact that that now that's not a recent event, but that set into motion a chain of events has led up to the current. And state. there was a reason why that happened. And I could get into the history about mm-hmm. like riverboat captains and companies yeah. and James Eads and all that sort of stuff. But you can look all that. Why don't you read Wicked River? Because it's a phenomenal. Wayne, you did bring up but, a, a great point, though, which is there is also a difference between a city that occurs simply by happenstance, or yeah. even if you have a, a city center that occurred by happenstance, but then expands with intent. So you say, right. you know what, we're going to build up a new suburb or a new part of the city, or we're going to renovate an old part of the city. And now you have a plan from the outset. In the same way, you could look at like a space colony. You might know from the start that uh, corporations investing in this, they're going to put this many colonists down. There's something there to mine. But they know that over time, they're hoping to expand this into something much bigger. If I look at, let's go back to video games. My favorite video game in the build-a-town genre is a game called Banished which eh, looks middle ages ish in technology level. And it's similar middle aged video game. Yes. Wow. I didn't know they had them back then. Yes, they did. It was, (laughs) it was done on uh, copper wheels and uh, yeah, very little balls that dropped and yeah. But the, the, I'm actually describing what maybe the world's first computer. Look it up. If you don't believe me, it's a Roman thing. But anyway, it was Greek. Greek. Whoever it was point being, it's a it's set in what looks like a middle ages level technology, but you start off with a group of let's say ten or twenty people who have a wagon full of supplies, and the implied setup by the name is they were banished. They yep. you don't know why, but they were kicked out, and you just start off in the middle of the wilderness. You better figure something out because. They're about to starve to death and die from the coming winter. It's spring, but winter... Well, they need to stop complaining. <laughs> yeah. They need to but, man up. But the point start is, picking berries. When, when I build that city, now there may be a very small area that I make simply to survive. These are my panic choices. I have a place where people can go forage for food, a couple buildings where they can huddle together to not die in the winter. But I know my intention is... This is going to be a thriving metropolis, and I organize it accordingly. There are well-organized houses. There are careful ratios of houses per food, per places to work, per industry. And I look at the layout of the land, and I see where the hills are that I can put mines into. And so I know I'm going to build up this area to support mining infrastructure. And there's nothing haphazard about it because of the fact that I have a perspective the people in the game right. don't have. Well, I don't know if this is anything that's ever happened in for like real cities, but that takes me back video game-wise to how I played Minecraft. I never did creative mode for the most part. I would do survival. So the first thing you do is I dig out a hole, I put a door on it, yeah. and then I'm building my city to the right where you, it's all planned and organized. You put your furnace and your workbench and... Yep. 
but I have my little closet that I'm living out of because that's what you need to survive while you're building the city that you're going to move into. Yeah. I don't know. I can't think of a well, case in history so, where that's happened. So but. think of it this way, like Missouri, that mm. kind of happened. Now, I don't know about digging a hole in a side of a right. cliff and pill- yeah. putting a fully formed door with a doorknob in front no. of it. But, but that's the, the concept is the that analogy of it, that it's is homestead. Yeah. I mean, what you had is you had people who rolled across Missouri and they set up homesteads. And we're not talking towns and planning here. And let's not get into what happened to Native Americans. But they set up farms and then they communicated with other farms like the next farm over 10 miles away. If something happened, we can communicate with them. And then these sort of communities kind of sprang up out of necessity. Well, then what happened after that is Mormons came in and Mormons set up planned towns because they knew that they were not just a family and a couple of people and they're making a farm and then more more Mormons are going to come in. No, they they're like, we are getting run out of Ohio and the East Coast. There are hundreds and hundreds of us coming in. We need a place to land. And we are the first people here to make that happen. So instead of just saying, well, we negotiated with the Missouri government to give us this many acres, we're going to say, well, we're going to take these acres and we're going to make this work. They made the first flour mill in Missouri. They made the first, like, I don't know, the blacksmith. They, they made, like, the first, you know, these things of industry. And then they made these first towns. The towns were all planned and stuff. So, yeah, to, to your point, that does happen. All of those things happen. So I guess the, the sort of takeaway on this is when you're playing a city in a role-playing game, Ask yourself, why does this exist? Now, you don't have to go into like a serious deep dive and make a well, I think gigantic it depends, history. It book. depends on how much the setting matters to the game. Yeah. And, if you're just you're, blowing through the city and you just need a place for your players to rest while they get yeah. into the real work, uh, who cares? Right. It has a tavern and yeah. a blacksmith roll on. <laughs> right. But it, yeah, if this is something they're actually supposed to explore and something they're supposed to get drawn into, then, yeah, I would say, yeah, why yeah. does it exist in the first place? Just a call, Even if the answer is so simple, like, you know what, why does this town exist? Well, I can make this huge history, 14-volume history of why this city exists and put more work in that in my game. Or I could say, you know what, this is where the water was. These farmers came together, this is where the well was, and around the well sprung a blacksmith in a tavern, and you know what? The the mayor of the town was the owner of the tavern because everybody liked him. This is a human city that exists directly between the mountains where the dwarves are and the forest where the elves are because the elves and the dwarves won't interact with each other, but they'll both sell to humans. In my city, there's going to be a Vietnam memorial-like memorial, except mine was the city built on cannibalism. (laughs) Because we chose really poor ground for farming. And so we've memorialized the names of all the people that we have eaten who've sacrificed their lives for our prosperity. That's very Molech of you. (laughs) (laughs) There can only be 42 people in the town. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who who wrote that horror short story, The Lottery or whatever it was called. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. many, many, many of them. Yeah, yeah. I know, but there was yeah. one in particular that's like the the archetypal one yeah. where, yeah, they have a lottery. And so, whoever it is. so you're playing D&D. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So you're playing D and D, and you're it's murder hobos, right? Sure. In towns, they have this massive industry that exists purely well, to service adventure. Well, here, yeah. Here, well, here's the thing. You roll into Brodor's horrible really cannibal town, right? Uh, they're not horrible. They're good people. It's their society. They, they've just, you know, they've developed the hunger. Forty-two Donnerville. <laughs> There's 40, hunger. There can only be forty-two people in the town. They they can only support forty two people. That's uh, their there's twenty five hundred names on the memorial. <laughs> twenty five hundred right. names on the memorial. Yeah. And the five murder hobos roll into town. What do the murder hobos do? I mean, when they figure it out, and the town is like, uh, "Well, if you're going to stay here more than six months, because the game master plot demands you to, because that's the point of the adventure, is there's five of you. That means five people have to go. We're over our quota here, so." We got, and you can't leave because the plot demands it. So what did the murder hobos do? I mean, if they just start killing people because it's so wrong, and then that's the only way they know how to deal with wrongness. I was going to say. Then they solve the problem. If they only have to kill five people. If you let me play Gnarl, all I have to do is bring his lobster bib. And, <laughs> right. And he's just well, going to murder. That's all. It's like, you don't have to kill the whole town. You just have to kill five people. And then guess what? You're this great, virtuous murder hobo. But no, now you're one of them. You might as well go to the Sunday well, they, buffet. And so they have to right. develop the hunger. Right. They can't, they can't know right, right, until, right until they're four or five meals in. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's some darkness below the town that that demands this yeah. equal. Oh, oh, you're a windigo, bitch. So it's like a, it's like this long the game is doing a long play. He does. They have the town, and they just the, the wall, and they just say, "Oh well, it's the honored dead who help us," but they yeah. don't give any context right. to it. It's those and who have sacrificed. That's yeah. those who have sacrificed. Yeah. And so, over the next like ten weeks of gaming, <laughs> there are yeah. five. And if I'm running a D and D game, there hasn't been a combat in those. Right. right. So <laughs> there are five NPCs that, as they go do their adventure and come back, and they're kind of operating out of this town, one by one, those NPCs disappear until five are gone or they figure out to check the wall and then they start finding the names on the wall, but they've been eating the food and they've been developing the hunger and the payoff for the game master is not this bullshit little go save the princess adventure you've been sending them on. But the payoff is they figure it out that they they have replaced the five people. They've eaten the five people. Now what do you do? That's the punchline of skies of glass. There was no nuclear war. It's just everybody got really hungry. <laughs> it's this mass delusion given to everyone by the color from outer space that demands mm. sacrifice. Yes. It demands equilibrium between man and nature. Or barbecue sauce. Yeah. Or whichever. Sweet baby rays. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like stubs. Stubs is good, right? Well, I, I when I went to Austin, I developed a taste for Texas style barbecue sauce. So I, I do stubs. Wayne, would you develop the hunger? What would you do in that murder hobo situation? I think that would be a really fun game. Mm-hmm. I'd eat the shit out of people. Because, because, okay, so I'm I'm a prepper like I'm into comic books. Right. Compared to normal people, I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. But compared to people who are really into prepping and or comic books, I'm not really yeah. a comic book guy. Yeah. But my whiteboard in my basement has my neighborhood gridded out and broken down into three categories, which are which are no, ig- you're crazy. Ignore, <laughs> harbor, consume. Because my emergency food stores. Is for an emergency. 
Yeah. But I got some I got some yummy looking neighbors, right? <laughs> and so the thing is is that people are called long pig. We're supposed to taste like pork, right? And the pig is God's most delicious animal. I mean, if I'll eat your nose and your feet and your ears and your intestines, and then I'll cut your skin into cubes and deep fry it and eat that too, that's a delicious animal. So people, I can't wait. I can't wait for the apocalypse so that I can eat fools. <laughs> I wow. suddenly know why I own guns. Uh, you protect yourself from people like him yeah. who totally aren't nut jobs not like some people but can't wait to eat your ass yeah <laughs> I'm so excited you start salivating just thinking about the coming apocalypse God, wow and to think that uh, at the house in St. Peter's I was just excited because it had a creek in the backyard it's like oh we have a supply of fresh water in case something ever goes horribly wrong I never thought to. You're amateur. Yeah, I, I wasn't asking the FDA for uh, nutritional information. <laughs> you on... were just ordering like one of those safety straws from Amazon. Yeah, exactly. It's... One of those self-filtering right. straws, and yeah. and maybe a few, you know, game traps for because it was a game uh, yeah. migratory route. The but... closest I've come to prepper is I have looked into those uh, pre-made meals, the MREs, and things like that. Because we live in a town that's on a fault. Well, I mean, that we could have an earthquake. Yeah, it would be you buy one of those. It's good for five years. The, the, in your basement, you don't think about. I it. have. I actually have two of them over there. They're they're called art kits, and mm-hmm. it's everything. Each one is for one person, so I have two. So it's one for me, one for yep. Carla, and. It's, None for your dogs? Uh, well, they're... Or food, are they the emergency food They're supply. food preservatives, which better than ours does. Oh, yeah. yeah. Amen to that, yeah. man. I'm, uh, I'm serious. I'll kill one of my neighbors to feed my dog. But <laughs> uh, I just said they're food preservatives. <laughs> I know. You were talking about Purina dog feed. Yeah. I was talking about, yeah, I was talking about pedigree, small country bites. Uh, <laughs> not, I'm talking about Karen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not talking about small crunchy Bob. But, uh, I'm yeah. kidding about that last part. Uh-huh. Her name's no. not Karen. <laughs> but so no, no. But it has everything that that a person would need to survive for three days. Yeah. So there's enough water, some basic medical supplies, waterproof matches. You know, very high calorie meals. The ones I was looking at were more the. I think you need more than three days if it's a major earthquake. Well, the, the three a week days, or so to get you through to the, the three days is your extension, right? Because if you look at uh, there's there's this concept I think I've mentioned on the show before. In case you're new to the show or I haven't, I'll link it in the show notes. But there's a, a concept in disaster preparedness called uh, filling your bathtub and eating saltines of peanut butter. No, it's like nine meals to madness or something like, because what they found is that three days from anarchy, something to to that effect. You remove food from any society on earth, you are three days. Well, and that's what they found is that people have on average enough supplies in their household Mm -hmm. between stored water, peanut butter and saltines and filling your bathtub up. I'm telling you that they'll make it about three days before they run out and panic starts to set in. And so the way that I look at those art kits is that's not three days. That's 
plus three days. Right. Yep. So that's the whatever the house has plus three days. But here, are, I'm getting way off track it, here. You, you laugh about the bathtub, Chad. I'm not laughing about but the bathtub. Growing up. That's literally what you do. Yeah. If everything goes to shit, you fill your bathtub well, up before you lose hot, the water. Your hot water heater, yeah. too. Yeah. Growing up, we used to actually have to do... Well, you have a bathtub and a hot water Yeah, heater. and the hot water If heater. there was a major storm coming in that we would know, we would occasionally would fill up like some... Uh, uh, basically milk jugs full of water because you lived out in the middle of we nowhere. lived in the middle of yeah. nowhere. All of that came from electricity right. for the water pumps. And if you're not in town, in town, they'll get your power back up pretty quickly. Yeah, outside you you could have okay. a week or so of no. Here's power, my right? point though. I'm not reached a level if I don't have my neighbors charted out by function. No, he, he, you should see his other chart. You know those cattle butcher charts that yeah. show that, yeah, he's got one of those got for, one people. For, for people. Right. But no, I, my point is <laughs> be, he's got the river I do look. Face. There's a book sitting there to serve man. Yeah. yeah. Being yeah. prepared for a few days, that's not prepper. If you know. the lightning, if lightning strikes and knocks Brodor's power out for 10 minutes, He's getting his crossbow out, <laughs> yes. and he's on the hunt. <laughs> but I, that's good. That's just good. Look, you don't know when an earthquake's going to hit, a major yeah. storm hits. Everyone listening to this show, I don't care who you are, where you live, ought to have a couple days worth of stuff sitting around just for general disaster preparedness. I'm not talking about the end of the earth. I'm just talking about, you know, like I said, an earthquake hits, a major storm hits, a major flood hits. Who knows? I mean, you know, we have tornadoes, we have earthquakes, we have floods here. Any we, one of those can t- potentially take out infrastructure enough that we could be without power, for, without yeah, things for, for at least a, a little bit days. of time. So anyway, I, it was worse for me growing up. Cause like you said, I was you, outside you of city limits. You did not live in city. Yeah, you, li- yeah. you didn't even live in a city. You lived in Missouri. They were worried <laughs> your lead levels might start to drop too low. So <laughs> they had to have you. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know where the heck we went to eat ingots. <laughs> <laughs> the chewy metal. I don't know. No, what happened here is we started with the topic and we're ending with the banter. I guess I, this is, yeah, I don't even know how we got from civic planning to Brodor's like color coding his neighbors and <laughs> asking them each to wear a different colored bracelet or something. Uh, but. no, that, however, your classification by color, not skin color, but by actual, a color identification coding is a whole nother conspiracy theory. <laughs> really? What color am I? Well, I, I don't know, but you would be of value. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a sorry. Great week. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, was about to say. I don't have any idea where we're right here. So, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. Eat ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.